the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today, we'll continue our series of conversations with conservatives and Republicans about what's going on and what's going wrong with their side of the political spectrum and what they would like to do about it. Nolan Finley, Detroit News editorial page editor, will join to discuss how he sees things from here in Michigan and what he expects as we wind up for the 2024 presidential contest. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've decided to join us. I'm also glad to be back in Detroit and back in the studio after a week away was a needed respite, but I'm really excited to be back here, especially as we get really close to the holiday season, which is my favorite part of the year. And of course, the city is looking quite sparkly and there are all kinds of wonderful things happening uh, in the next few weeks to celebrate the end of the year. It really is uh, a special time. So I hope that uh, you are taking advantage as well uh, of all the cheer and all the fun. Today, we want to continue our look at the Republican Party and at conservatism, what they stand for, what challenges they face, particularly with voters, and what the future looks like after, for them, a disappointing midterm election and, of course, as we gear up for 2024 and the next presidential contest. Before we get to our guests, though, I want to talk just a little about why we have been doing this. It's no secret, of course, that my politics don't match with conservatives or the GOP. Increasingly, that's just true on almost every issue. But here on the show, one of the things we really value is pluralism of ideas and of ideals. And as much as we want to lift up ideas that are similar to or reinforce our own, we also want to have inquiring and incisive conversations about competing ideas. And when the other side is in some sort of crisis, as conservatism almost surely is, it's absolutely worth talking about why and what might solve the troubles on that side of the spectrum. This is really important right now because you have a lot of folks in the Republican Party who seem to want to burn down the systems and institutions that structure our republic. In Michigan, for example, the Republicans at the top of the midterm ticket didn't believe that the 2020 election results were legitimate. All three of them said they had real doubts or just didn't have any faith in the result. All three of them wanted to make it harder for people to vote instead of easier. They supported gerrymandering and other tactics that make our system less democratic. Now, they lost, by and large, here in the state of Michigan. The red wave that people were predicting was absolutely beaten back here in the Great Lakes state. But much of the same sentiment that these Republicans are indulging is what culminated in the January 6th attempted insurrection. And it was supported also by several candidates who were running here in Michigan and around the country. So at this point in our series of conversations on conservatism, we've talked about the contradictions between conservatism and the Republican Party. We've explored different dimensions of what the party wants and what ideals are powering the party. And we've tried to come up with what it means to be a Republican or a conservative now and how this tension inside the party between those 
who want to indulge uh, election denial and insurrections and those who want to stick to more traditional ideals. H- how do we resolve that? How does the party go forward from this point? Today, we want to talk with a longtime conservative from right here, here in Michigan, who has seen the party change an awful lot, not just in the last decade, but over a long period of time. Nolan Finley is a conservative editorial page editor for the Detroit News. He's been swimming in conservative circles here in Michigan for quite some time. He's also a partner of mine in our work and somebody I have become quite fond of. Uh, over the last 15 years. Nolan, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Steve. Good, good to be with you, as always. Yes, always great to have you here. So uh, I want to start with some of what I was just talking about mm-hmm. in the open there. I, I want to know what you make of Republican Party candidates that ran at the top of the ticket here in Michigan. Uh, you supported some of them. Uh, some of them. And, and as I one. said, uh, one of the three, right? Uh, and as I said, these are candidates who were really attacking uh, some of the institutional stability that I think is really important uh, in our republic. I, I, I want to have you talk about the process from your chair of looking at these candidates and deciding how to dole out the news' support in in this election. I mean, I think it'd be really interesting for listeners to understand how you make those decisions and then how you came up with the things that you you ultimately said and did. Well, you know, we interviewed all the candidates and looked at their position and, you know, look at where they were. Uh, going forward, uh, you know, we ended up endorsing Tudor Dixon because we felt uh, uh, she better represented our hopes uh, for what a governor, governor might do over the next four years. We didn't uh, endorse the other two at the top of the ticket uh, because they were, you know, just simply unacceptable uh, and no business uh, at all being on the t- ticket. Uh, didn't really consider them uh, conservatives, true conservatives in any fashion. They were uh, polluted with the same uh, sort of poison that has infected much of the Republican Party, and, and that is the populism brought into the party by Donald Trump. And populism and conservative conservatism are, in my mind, incompatible. Uh, but you have a lot of that in the Republican Party, and uh, this time, and it, uh, you know, it made it uh, a very difficult time for us. And in some races, I mean, there's still a lot of good conservatives in the mix here. Uh, and uh, you know, we talked with the the, cons- the top of the ticket candidate. We did endorse Tudor Dixon, and we're satisfied that going forward, uh, she would be a uh, rational, uh, acceptable choice as governor. Were we wild about her? No, but uh, you know, that was a uh, sort of a condition of the time. We were wild about many people so, in this election. So, so you know, f- for me, when I'm looking at candidates mm-hmm. and and uh, political races, there are certain things that I would say are kind of automatic disqualifiers, right? Mm-hmm. People who say or believe things that I just can't, I can't get past to even think about some of the other things that they might believe. I would put support for the January 6th insurrection or any, any kind of association with that in that category. I'd also put election denial, uh, the, the, the extreme... Uh, effort to disqualify the votes, particularly of of Detroiters and African-American Detroiters in 2020 in that category. And yet it seems that for you and for the Detroit News, those aren't disqualifiers. I mean, Tudor Dixon was an election denier. Uh, Lisa McLean, who's a member of Congress uh, now and was running for for re-election, is somebody who walked people through the Capitol the day before January 6th, 2021. So, so uh, I, I want to have you talk about why those things aren't disqualifiers for you and why uh, you don't see them, I guess, as fundamental threats to either the party or to the ideals of conservatism. 
you know, we talked with both candidates. We talked with them extensively about these uh, uh, issues. We were satisfied with Tudor Dixon's answers in particular on where she stood on election uh, integrity, where she stood on honoring the, the will of the people, and we're satisfied uh, that uh, she would uh, obey obey the law and adhere to the uh, you know adhere to the standards that we expected. We just felt in both of those in- instances. They were better for us and for what we were hoping to see over the next two or four years for the state and this country than their opponents were. Uh, we were not pleased at all with a governor who took a dictatorial stance during the uh, pandemic, suspended civil liberties, which very important to us as a conservative newspaper. We found those deal breakers, Steve. I mean, there are a lot of you, know, you talk about deal breakers. There are a lot of things important to us, too. And one was, uh, you know, respecting individual freedoms and uh, respecting civil liberties. And both of them disappeared for long stretches in this state under Gretchen Whitmer. And she never paused to examine whether the course she was on was right or wrong, was doing damage or doing the best she could. She was stubborn and bullied ahead. We couldn't really see that. Uh, for another four years as acceptable to us. Also very uh, very much a lack of transparency. She didn't feel the obligation to discuss the people's business with the people. You know, it was do it and like it and, and shut up. And so, you know, we were about tired of that sort of governing. And we found in Tudor Dixon someone who we hoped uh, no guarantee, obviously, uh, that what a candidate says or does on a campaign trail is going to be how um, she, he or she governs. But mm. we found that to be a better path for us. We could not see another four years of Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, and, you know, had it been any other, any one of the other 10 or 5 or 10 Republican candidates who started that race might not have felt the same. But we thought she was... Uh, acceptable. So so I mean I I think it's really interesting to to hear you compare the governor's performance during a, a world epidemic, a global epidemic, uh, an emergency response uh, to uh, things like election denial and insurrection and and I, I mean I, I think on a substantive basis that's a that's kind of a strange comparison to me uh, or or a, 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 a strange parallel but but I do want to I do want to drill down a little more on how you feel then that um, uh, that that could these conservative ideals what are the conservative ideals i guess that 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 matter the most to you and 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 i think that's what what is represented here is a disconnect uh between us and and of course between liberals and conservatives about what is important i mean uh, the sanctity of the vote uh the 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 idea of uh the peaceful transference of power uh those seem to me to be uh not just not just conservative ideals, but also liberal ideals, um, and and the idea that somehow somebody who's responding to a global pandemic that we didn't know a lot about as it was unfolding, uh, and and did what she thought was right to try to keep people safe, it, it, it's a there's something about that that doesn't wash with me. Well, that's always the time when you need your civil liberties most. Uh, when you have a government that feels well, we uh, need in our lives the most, yeah. I mean, well, you know, that's always the most dangerous time. That's always when people lose their civil liberties, uh, the most civil liberties, Steve. And when you have the governor say, government saying, well, we're going to protect you from this great threat. So we're going to strip away your basic liberties and rights. Uh, for your own good. That's that's what those rights exist to protect you against, and that's very serious for us. I mean, we saw some of the things that were going on, and we and we spoke about them during the pandemic to be very troubling and very threatening to um, our our basic liberties, our basic rights as Americans, and a threat to democracy. And we saw some of the very bad outcomes from arbitrary and capricious policies and the suspension of representative government governing. I think we would have done much better 
<clears throat> excuse me, much better during the pandemic had we had representative government intact and more voices uh, with a say in the process. Now, first few weeks, first month, obviously, you know, we supported uh, what happened, but long term, suspending representative governing and having one person rule uh, is never good. I don't care what the crisis is. I mean, that didn't happen in the world in, in World War Two. I mean, it, it didn't Roosevelt didn't set aside the Congress and say, hey, I'm going to do what's best for you because your lives are at stake. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, I, I do want to talk about how this all fits into your view of conservatism and the Republican Party. Uh, you and I have had this conversation for uh, some time now, and I know I know that you're somebody who's given a lot of thought to uh, how these ideals are expressed by Republicans and how they're not, and, and what this battle is, I guess, at the core of, of the Republican Party. I mean, it, it's something that seems to now define uh, party contests and and the ideas that Republicans say they want to enact when they're when they're elected but but give me a sense of how you judge the party at this point um, and and how it I guess fits with your idea of what's what's a conservative well <clears throat> excuse me um, Republicanism and conservatism are not the same thing. Never was the same thing, uh, um, wholly, and it's certainly not now. You've got a war in the party between populism and conserv- conservatism, and again, they're not compatible. Uh, you know, you saw uh, Donald Trump during his years uh, uh, purport himself as a conservative. There was nothing conservative about about Donald Trump or what he stood for. Uh, you know, we. Conservatives, true conservatives, stand for free people, free minds, free markets. Uh, you saw a lot of encroachment on those ideals over the last five or six years um, by people who called themselves Republicans. Uh, you know, their principle went out the door, and I think to a large part it's still out the door in, in favor of, uh, of uh, you know, winning elections and uh, you know, in the end, I think it backfired on them. If Republicans had stuck to conservative principles, I think they would have had a much broader appeal to the electorate. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with my friend Nolan Finley, who is the editorial page editor of the Detroit News. Uh, we're going to get to you on the phones and on social as well. 313-577-1019 is the number. Give me a call. Let us know what you think of conservatism and the Republican Party right now, where you think it stands, uh, what trouble you see inside the Republican Party, especially if you are a conservative or a Republican. Of course, we want to hear from you about how you're taking all this in and figuring it out. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Nolan Finley. He's the editorial page editor of the Detroit News, someone who considers himself a conservative, uh, often aligns with the Republican Party and its candidates, but sometimes does not. Uh, We're talking about conservatism and the Republican Party, how uh, the two match up with each other, how the two contend with each other right now. Uh, a lot of turmoil inside the Republican Party about what conservatism is or is not and what the party should be doing. Uh, we want to hear from you as well on the phones, especially if you are a conservative. Let us know what you make of all of this trouble uh, on the right side of the political spectrum, much of it inspired by former President Donald Trump. But uh, I think two years after he was uh, not reelected, uh, there's lots of other uh, representatives, I think, of that same trouble. And this seems to have legs far beyond the former president. 
What do you think of that? Uh, where do you think it's headed in the next two years as we get ready for yet another presidential contest? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation that way. Let's start today with uh, Patricia in St. Clair Shores. Patricia, welcome to the show. Thank you. I wanted to make a comment when he says that uh, Governor Whitmer <clears throat> was in, impinging on our civil rights. What about the rights of those of us who wanted to live and used our masks and got our, our uh, booster shots? You know, he thinks that only one group of people in this country have civil rights, and that's the ones that don't want to follow any recommendations. Hmm. Uh, great, great point, Patricia. I really appreciate the call. Nolan, how do you answer that? Well, I mean, I never, you know, said that uh, you shouldn't follow rec- recommendations. Um, I got my vaccine and I wore <clears throat> my mask, still wear it on airplanes. Uh, but what I believe is we could have protected ourselves and trusted people to protect themselves and do the right, do the right thing for themselves and their neighbors without taking away their basic liberties and their basic rights. I mean, we don't do that in this country. We've never done that at any point in this country before to the extent we did during that pandemic. So, you know, I'm not buying that I need a uh, autocratic governor. I need a dictator to tell me to protect myself. I didn't. And I think as we learned more and more about the, the pandemic and about the COVID virus, we should have been willing to uh, to adjust our policies, to challenge our positions, and to make corrections, and we weren't, were, and we weren't. And so, you ask me why we endorsed Tudor Dixon. Um, you know, was that our our most enthusiastic choice ever? No, I'm not going to lie. But we just we just could not reward a governor who so eagerly and willingly uh, seized total power in this state. That's so- just anathemate to me as a conservative. So so I want to ask you about another governor and his efforts to mm-hmm. seize control of cities over and over. Uh, Rick Snyder uh, ran talking about uh, bringing a tougher hand, I guess, to, to finances in cities. And as governor, uh, indulged the idea that you could suspend local democracy, uh, essentially move elected officials out of the way in order to have the state manage their finances. Uh, he also did that over the objection of, uh, of voters who statewide had said, hey, we don't want this uh, for uh, the way that we manage our cities. Uh, and he, he went ahead and figured out a way uh, around that. It seems like that's similar at least in some ways, to, to, to what you're criticizing uh, Gretchen Whitmer, Gretchen Whitmer for. And he said the same thing. It's an, a, at all. A, a financial emergency in his mind uh, was, was justification for that. In her mind, uh, a worldwide pandemic, which I would say is a little more of an emergency. But, but what's the difference? Oh, well, the difference is, is, is clear. I mean, that he was following the Constitution of the state and these local communities that he stepped in and took uh, financial uh, control of, he had fiduciary responsibility for. They were, they were, under our Constitution, entities of the state. They're not freestanding, um, independent uh, entities. And he followed the state law. He didn't have to sp- suspend a single law to do the things he did. He didn't have to do uh, in the rounds uh, any law in Michigan. In fact, he followed the emergency management law that his predecessor. But wasn't the law uh, itself an end around? Wasn't the law itself an end around from the referendum where people said, hey, we don't want this? And we we never supported the uh, emergency manager's law. We were always, uh, you know, feel that people uh, should... uh, uh, suffer the consequences of their bad choices at the at the ballot booth rather than being um, bailed out. But Rick Snyder followed the law. He didn't have to to suspend any laws or to do the things he did under the Emergency Manager Act. And you know we were glad to see it go, uh, but 
I don't think you can make an, a, a comparison. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we would we would probably argue long and I mean, hard about had, that and never come to an agreement. He had responsibility under Michigan's constitution for these local governments. And she has a she has a state, and she had a she had a responsibility under the constitution to to protect people's public health. And and that I mean, it's it, it, not by going any back necessary, Steve. That's not how democracy is works, and that's not. How are there's no caveat in the Bill of Rights that says, "Hey, these things go away when times get tough." Well, it's when what times it says get tough that they're designed to protect them. What it says is that them. is that uh, the government can suspend your property rights. It can suspend your rights to freedom. It, it can end your life, in fact, uh, as long as it follows due process. And and it, it doesn't. These and rights are not absolute. There certainly was no due process here during the pandemic. I mean, she set the legislature on its side, and those things were unacceptable to us. They remain unacceptable to us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I, I love arguing with uh, with you, Nolan, and and yeah. I, you know, I mean, we will never agree on that. But I do appreciate uh, you you uh, making making really clear uh, how you're thinking these things through. And Patricia, again, thanks very much for the call. Let's go next to Charlie in Detroit. Charlie, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, well, I guess I got to ask Nolan, is he an election denier? Yeah, great question, Charlie. You know, I should, probably should have started there. He and I have had that conversation a number of times, and I know the answer, but uh, maybe listeners have not heard him say it. Uh, Nolan, talk about your take on the, uh, you know, the election denying that is defining so many of the campaigns these days, uh, and and not just between Republicans and, and Democrats, but within the Republican Party in the primaries in particular, uh, this is a big issue. Well, no, I mean, I've spoken out from the very beginning uh, that the election was not stolen and that Donald Trump Donald Trump should have shut up and gone away. I mean, we've been very clear on that. Uh, I've been very clear personally in the newspaper as since day one. We never harbored any uh, doubts about the outcome of the election. Yeah, yeah. And and where do you feel that puts you in the conversation about what the Republican Party is going to stand for? As I said we had three election deniers at the top of the ticket. If you go down to the congressional level, uh, you had lots of folks running as Republicans here in the state uh, who who believed that there was something illegitimate about the 2020 election results. How how much does that issue define Republicanism right now? And how do you get to a place where maybe it doesn't? I think we're at that place now. I don't think you're going to you're going to see that um, be the prevalent uh, issue or position uh, uh, going forward. I think a lot of the people you're talking about who, you know, express some concern or doubts or what have you about the election were uh, was simply cowardice at work. They were afraid of Donald Trump. Uh, and you talk to uh, a lot of them as individuals. They knew better than that. Uh, so I think there was a good deal of cowardice. Uh, you know, Trump was a very intimidated figure, intimidating figure for a lot of the the office holders in the Republican Party, and uh, I think a lot of that was at work. But I don't think that's going to be uh, an issue going forward. I'm 100 percent confident it, it it won't be uh you saw a little of it in the 2020 election but not very much i think people have learned their lesson most people have learned their election lesson and moved on yeah yeah again charlie i'm sorry 22 elections yeah yeah uh, charlie appreciate the call and the question uh let's go next to dennis in dearborn dennis what's on your mind hello hey dennis good morning go ahead okay um let me just say, uh, I, I'm, I'm absolutely inspired by your friendship over the years. So I, I, I think we all have something to learn just by the social dynamics of the two of you. I think definitions are, are really important. So anthropology, what is your anthropology, conservative? What is your anthropology, um, uh, liberal? And 
you know, the, the word liberal, I, and I tend to be liberal, is, is freedom. So I, I get really frustrated that the word freedom is taken away or not looked at on, on my side of the thinking uh, when I uh, especially look at, I'm a trained community organizer, and we come down to that people have agency, the ability to act. What more freedom can you have? And that comes from that side. Um, maybe the two of you are wordsmiths a little bit better, but I, I think it was called a modal verb. So we have verbs. The conservatives want to act. The liberals want to act. The word should I think comes from the or it applies to the conservative side more because they say this is what you should do, this is what you should do. Now, that's I know there's going to be argument there, but on the liberal side, the modal verb could talks about possibilities. Hmm. Those are my thoughts. Yeah, Dennis, I really appreciate the call uh, and the thoughts. You know that that word liberty or that word freedom is something that. I think is common across uh, political parties, but as Dennis points out, uh, Nolan, it means different things to different people, and of course, our history has a lot to do with that. Um, but but let's let's just for a second um, talk about what you mean when you say freedom or liberty, and how you see that as uh, uh, a conservative a conservative value. Well, I, you know, I think I stand with the with the founders. I think there are certain God-given liberties that are um, inviolable, and by the government or by anyone else. And you know, as a conservative, I believe, uh, in as as Dennis was talking about the origins of words or the root of words, I believe in conservative conserving the traditions, the values, the institutions. Uh, that have taken us this far, you know. That's I, I believe, as you know, uh, very strongly in the power of the individual and the rights of the individual, as well as individual responsibility. And and when you, know, you the rule of law and uh, um, I think one of the I'm differences. Yeah, I think one of the differences uh, is often in the sort of ideal of freedom or liberty and uh, the sort of practical the practical execution of the kind of liberty or freedom that has that is you know uh, that has taken place since since the founding um, you know I, I think much of what defines modern progressivism is the push f to fulfill that liberty for all people on an equal basis and and uh, so when when we say things like freedom or liberty we're thinking more of equality and the the inequality that's been enforced by you know by governments from federal to, to local since the founding and I think when with conservatives it is this ideal that the 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 ideals themselves were enough and that You've just got to protect uh, what was put in place. Go I don't ahead. accept that at all, Steve. I don't no. think it's true at all. I think when you talk about freedom and liberty, you see it as a a group ideal. And I believe the uh, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the founders uh, were were trying to create a very wide space for the individual to stand unmolested from the government. That it's an individual. These are individual rights, and they have to be uh, exercised and protected as individual rights. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the big differences between conservatism and progressivism. I think too often but that idea of are willing to roll over the individual to uh, secure what in, their, what in their minds are, are liberties and freedoms for a group. Well, uh, but that's, that's individuals not... Individuals within that group are less important, and I don't... You know, I, but I we didn't come to that, that idea way. that we didn't come to the idea through an ideal. I guess what I'm saying is that we come to that, that we? we come to that idea through the practical uh, application of what liberty has meant since the beginning. So, for instance, uh, of course, uh, African Americans are, were identified as a group by the same founders. Mm -hmm who talked about individual liberty and freedom uh, to be denied that freedom. Women 
uh, were identified by those founders uh, as a group to be denied those uh, freedoms and liberties as a group. And so it's not that it's not that um, that women or African-Americans or other people who are left out self-identified as a group to, to be able to do those things. It's that they we were identified as unequal and outside the protections of those liberties. And so uh, the political activism and the and the legislation and all of the things that that uh, we do as a group are meant to push back on uh, a, a group identifier, a group label that has been put on us. It's not that it's not and mm-hmm. it's not that we don't believe in individual liberty. Of course, of course we do. And, and what we're fighting for is the same individual liberty that everybody else had, but we were denied those things as a group. So how else do you, you do you push back against you, it? But you see that avenue as transferring uh, the, the responsibility for those rights to the government from the individual, and you know you you see the the government, the big hand of government, as uh, you know a good. A good steward of those rights, and um, I think it can know, be. I, I think it hasn't been. It hasn't. I don't been. think it has been at all. And yeah. I think that's why. I mean, you know, you mentioned the great wrongs um, of our founding, and certainly there's no denying those. But the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, the only, the only avenue avenue for remedy there. And you take those away, and there is no um, avenue for remedy for oppressed groups for groups who have been denied the rights that the Constitution promises. And there's no denying that's happened. But the Constitution is also the only fix. It's the only way out. Yeah, no, I, that's where we would agree, is that the, the Constitution and its promises are uh, what, what, what uh, d- uh, disenfranchised groups have to look to uh, so you to can't, empower. Then, then, Steve, you can't transfer then so much of the power from the individual to the government. Um, I, as an individual, a flawed individual, obviously, but I don't need the government to, to act on my behalf, to run my life, to protect me from myself. You know, I'm perfectly capable of taking the rights that the Constitution gives me and living a happy, productive life if, uh, you know, the government will stay as much as possible out of my way. I, I would agree with that, except that the government has been in my way for 200 and almost 50 years. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's the point. I mean, uh, the government has had its thumb on the scale against African-Americans, against women, against other people who were decided to be disfavored at, at the founding. Which, and, and what we're trying to do is get government to stop doing that, right? Which is, you know, why I am always um, curious about why you invest so much trust in government itself. Um, I don't. I think, I, I think I'm investing that trust in the same thing you're investing that trust in, which is the Constitution itself. And the government is I the arm... That that the government is the arm that it, it, that protects those rights for everybody, oh, and and makes and, sure that that well, your again, rights are not often, more more important than mine. Too often, it's the arm that denies you those rights or tries to limit those rights. You look at that space mm-hmm. uh, that the Bill of Rights carves out for the individual to stand unmolested from the government. As I said before, shrinking more and more and more as the government puts um, imposes on those rights for you know the greater good i think those you know this idea of the greater good is the most dangerous uh concept to to individual liberty uh that there is yeah yeah okay uh we're gonna take another quick break and we come back we're gonna continue this really spirited conversation with my friend nolan finley the editorial page editor of the detroit news we'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on twitter philip and royal oak john on the east side norman and bloomfield hills we'll get to you next if you want to join them 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones we'll be right back with more detroit today
WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. Today on 1019 WDET, and my guest is Nolan Finley, the editorial page editor of the Detroit News. Today, we are continuing our series of conversations with conservatives and Republicans about what's going on in uh, their party, all of the turmoil that we see, and the change that's uh, taking place inside uh, the Republican Party. Uh, what does it all mean, and where is it all headed? Especially important questions as we get ready to start hearing from candidates who would like to be elected president in 2024. We want to hear from you as well on the phones and on social media. You can call us at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation that way. Before we get back to our listeners, uh, Nolan, I want to talk to you just a little about uh, people you see who you think do embody conservatism who are inside the Republican Party and who may represent a path forward, both at the national level and and here at the state level? Well, at the national level, I'm a big fan of Nikki Haley. I would hope that she finds her way on the ticket in 2024. I think she's a good, solid conservative and a very intelligent person. I think she would be an excellent uh, choice at the um, top of the ticket. Uh, you know, in Michigan, you know, there's, there are some people that, uh, you know, term limits over the years have taken out of the legislature, never really find, uh, found their, their next place, if you will. I would hope there's a role in the future of the state for uh, Tom Leonard, for example. Uh, you know, and there's some, there's some good, very good legislatures, legislators, uh, elected uh uh in in the uh in the last election newcomers uh, senator lindsey from down in the monroe area uh ivy league graduate west point graduate uh uh very bright young man i think's got a big future in the state so you know i think there are uh uh some very encouraging individuals and candidates out there Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, let's go to Philip in Royal Oak. Philip, welcome to the show. Hello. Good morning. Hey, Philip. Um, I had a quick comment, and I wanted to hear your guest uh, respond to what I see as conservatives and Republican leaders accepting or, in some cases, a tacit approval of political violence, and like especially violence as a means to an end uh, in political arenas. So oh. I'll, uh, I'll listen off there. Thank yeah. you. Philip, I appreciate the call. Uh, Nolan, go ahead. No place for, for violence. I think we've come to this point in the country. We have too many people who think, well, my cause is so righteous, um, I can engage in the worst sort of uh, behavior. Uh, we're seeing it across the, the spectrum. Uh, I don't think there's any place for violence in politics. Uh, what would you have done or what would you like to see done in response to what happened on January 6th of, of last year? Um, uh, there's, of course, a congressional effort to try to hold some folks accountable. I know you're not a fan of that, but, but, mm-hmm. but, but tell, me, tell me what you would do. How would you, how would think, you respond to that? I think the response we've seen is, uh, is the only appropriate response to people who are – who broke into the Capitol and who rampaged and acted uh, in the worst possible way? Uh, how many of them have been arrested and, proc- and prosecuted? Uh, you know that process is going forward. A lot of people are paying the price they should pay uh, for such an act. Uh, I don't know what the exact number of people who've been prosecuted so far, but uh, I think it's a good number. But what about those who gave inspiration to or aid and comfort to the folks 
who were going to do that or who did that. And here I'm thinking specifically about someone like Lisa McLean, who's a member of Congress, who led people through the Capitol before uh, before they came the next day, you know, well, with violence in mind. I don't think you can say, well, gosh, uh, uh, Lisa McLean supported um, Trump's nonsense, so uh, we're going to take her out and uh, and uh, hang her or something. I mean, if she committed a crime, prosecute her for the crime. But tell me the crime she committed. I guess I'm I mean, not asking about kangaroo the... courts here. Um, you know, doing some sort of purge if that's what you're suggesting. I mean, I don't. I don't see the. Uh, I guess I'm not thinking yeah, just about legal consequence, into. but 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 why should someone like that be in the Congress? A uh, and and also, why should she be getting support from conservative uh, conservative uh, voices? I mean, uh, well, she's in. She's in Congress. She's in because she got elected. Because the people put her there, and I don't think you, you or anyone else, has the right to tell the people, um, you know, who they who they can vote for or what their choices can be. That some people are just simply not eligible for the vote. I mean, she met the qualifications of the ballot, and the people supported her. Her, and you know, whether that was the right choice or not, or the wrong choice, not really for you to decide. The people made the choice. Um, we went with Lisa. Uh, McLean, not our favorite congressperson by any means, um, over her opponent because we didn't want to send uh, the Democratic Party another vote in in the House, another vote in the Congress, given the damage they've done to the country over the last two years. So I mean, we couldn't, we didn't believe the country could stand two more years of unchecked Democratic power in Washington. But uh, but it could with conditions but it could withstand but it could withstand congressional representatives who supported a violent attempt to over see th- this is the thing that I keep coming back to. You keep saying that she you're making that well, and again I mean again, I, Steve, we're not she's me, certainly associated me, with it. Let Come me on. Answer you. Well she, I mean she certainly supported Donald Trump and his nonsense. Uh but uh, we think there are, you know, we felt there are a lot of dangers uh, to democracy. And we think what's happened over the last two years of reckless and irresponsible governing, governing on behalf of the Democrats is a threat to democracy. Is the same as a, is, do you, but you would equate that with a, the insurrection? Would you, I mean, you, not the, certainly um, it, it's a threat to, you know, the, 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 quality of life of Americans and the ability of Americans um, to, you know, raise their families and uh, and uh, send their kids to college and to do the things, realize the hopes and dreams for their for their families. This is this couldn't go on in my mind. You couldn't have two more years of by any means necessary governing. Uh, we, you know, I think that, uh, you know, having the agencies of government, you know, work actively to undermine elected officials, including the president, is a threat to democracy. And that's what we've seen over the last several years. And, you know, enough's enough. Yeah. wasn't going to send another progressive down to, co- down to Washington to affirm uh, the damaging things Joe Biden and the Democratic Congress were trying to do. Yeah, I guess, and I guess that was my rationale. Yeah, I, I guess my I will will die on the hill of not comparing Policy uh, imperatives well, um, to to I insurrection. I mean, I I can't believe ahead. you're making that I comp- think, comparison. <laughs> I didn't I didn't think you know Lisa McLean was as was ever going to get uh, you know uh, a chance to deny another election, if you will. But uh, her opponent That's might have me. had a chance to cast. <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah. Um, might have had a chance to go to Washington and cancel a lot of votes damaging to the nation. Uh, You know, I think, you know, we're we're not going to, yeah, we're not going to agree on this, but but I do, I do appreciate again, but you talk about threats to democracy. I feel there are a lot of threats threats to democracy. I think the under, the undermining of the nation's economic foundation is a threat to, uh, uh, democracy. It's I think not that it's I wouldn't people, agree that they those might be threats. People in desperate situations. Mm-hmm. I think when you have a party in 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 power and 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 in absolute power who believes that because they feel they're so right 
that they can they can that they can govern by any means necessary and ignore constitutional norms i think that's a threat to democracy i think what you've seen happening in the justice department over the last few years is a threat to democracy so there are a lot of threats here that concern me and i know concern you uh you know did we hold our nose here and pick what i said i believe we believe was the lesser of two evils absolutely i won't deny that i'm not going to be standing up here and say wow that's one great congresswoman <laughs> but you know to us it was important that uh you to break that unchecked power that Democrats held over Washington because I felt they were abusing it mm. and abusing it in major ways. Yeah. Uh, well, I, we'll we'll have to disagree on that, and and that's and that's fine. But I really do. Well, that's of made, course, what makes us who we are. It right? is what makes us who we are. Absolutely. Uh, but I do, of, of course, appreciate uh, you coming uh, onto the show to talk about conservatism and uh, Republicans and uh, all of the things that are happening. Nolan, it's always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for being here. Always glad to, Steve. I wish you had an afternoon show instead of a morning show. <laughs> That's right, so you can sleep in. <laughs> All right, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow. When we're going to talk with two black suburban business owners who are trying to make the suburbs a more supportive place for black entrepreneurs when they operate outside of the city of Detroit. Really interesting issue as the suburbs become much more diverse here in Metro Detroit than they have been historically. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.